It's July 25th, 2018, and welcome to a special edition of Bite Mars Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we're going to hear from David Nichols from the Waikiki Aquarium about their new digital AR aquarium display. And then we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, it's uh, gubernatorial candidate Colleen Hanabusa, and she's going to join us to talk about science, technology, and the innovation economy. But first up, let us welcome David Nichols. Uh, he's IT coordinator at the Waikiki Aquarium, and uh, you're going to tell us about this cool new stuff you've got down there. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Now, uh, David, you know, I, I had the pleasure of uh, checking out your sort of AR aquarium, uh, augmented reality aquarium, and uh, tell us a little bit about this partnership that really came about to develop this display. Well, the Waikiki Aquarium is always looking for new and innovative ways to share the ocean and its inhabitants uh, with our visitors. And uh, we discovered this augmented reality exhibit as a traveling exhibit, uh, and we're hosting it for a couple of months until the end of September at the mm. Waikiki Aquarium. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the uh, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the partnership that uh, resulted in the display. So uh, HIS Hawaii and Leilea uh, and a company from Japan called Little Planet, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a technology company, um, uh, basically they approached us about having an ocean-themed augmented reality exhibit at the aquarium. Um, And so we had to find the space. Uh, We're kind of space limited there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we did. uh, We did a little renovation, uh, and we were able to host the exhibit, and we're really excited about it. Mm -hmm. Well, when I lived in Waikiki, my family and I spent a lot of time at the aquarium, and you have to make the most of the space that you have there. So when someone talks about augmented reality aquarium experience, I know when you go down there, you have large tanks, you have the outdoor area. Um, What is the experience someone has when they participate in this AR exhibit? So um, so there's virtual reality, which mm-hmm. people may be somewhat familiar with, uh, where usually people wear a head-mounted display, uh, and the entire world around them is generated by the computer. Uh, with augmented reality, it's more of a mix of reality and uh, computer-projected images. Uh, so there's three uh, really fun attractions there. Uh, one is uh, a sandbox attraction um, where images are projected on the sand. For example, uh one of the kids could build a huge mountain in the sandbox, and when they do, it may start snowing on the mountain. Uh, they can punch a hole in the middle, and suddenly lava flows out of the mountain. Mm. Uh, they can dig down, and the ocean uh, flows along. The water flows along with them, and uh, fish and other uh, things that come from the ocean. And is this through a lens, or is it through lights that, that just sort of project and detect the depth of the sand? Well, what was really tremendous about this when I first encountered it is that you don't have to wear a head-mounted mm. display, uh, which... Uh, you know, a lot of these are out there, like uh, there was Google Glass and, and different ones like that. Uh, but this one, actually, the projectors are all around you in the room, and they actually just project uh, on uh, the items that you're playing with in the room. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, remember the uh, Oceanet has their sort of augmented reality mm-hmm. sand display? So it's very similar to that. And I, I, But I think it's a little bit more complex because there's more things happening like, you know, you can have the water layer, you can have the vegetation layer, and then you can have the, the lava layer. <clears throat> What's also kind of neat was that there were these little uh, kind of like QR codes that would trigger a certain image on the sand. And I thought that was pretty uh, pretty novel. Yeah, I, I did too. Uh, actually, if you dig in the sand, you might find a, a treasure box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can pick up a key with a QR code on it if you hold it over to unlock mm. and open the box. So it becomes more like a video game. There's things you can find or, or uh, discover. 
There's a magnifying glass, too, and you can go around and find hidden uh, sea creatures. Uh, and then they, once you do, once you unlock them, uh, they swim around in the aquarium. So that was uh, one of the three exhibits. Tell us about another. Uh, so there's also a spray paint wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually uh, there's three-dimensional um, creatures from the sea, like a whale or a turtle, Honu. And um, they appear on the wall, and you can use spray paint cans to spray paint the wall uh, like you would with graffiti, but you can also spray paint the animals. So mm. hopefully we st- we, we're we hoping that people start thinking about morphology of animals and colors and things like that. And then when they go through the aquarium, they can appreciate what nature's done. Well, you already have sort of hands-on opportunities in the tide pools outside, but definitely something that people can interact with and, and uh, touch uh, makes it definitely more engaging for for young people. Yeah, and it's just a chance for adults and, and their children to come together and play with the ocean more. So, so tell us, though, how long is this, this um, display going to be uh, on, uh, I guess, available for the public to view? So this one's temporary. It's until the end of September. Mm-hmm. September. All right. And uh, great. Where can they find more information about this? So... Uh, you can find out more information about this exhibit and the aquarium at www.waikikiaquarium.org. Very good. Fantastic. Thanks, David, for joining us. Oh, it's been such a great pleasure. Thanks, David. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Congresswoman Colleen Hanabusa. And we'll talk about science, tech, and the innovation economy. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. I became aware of public radio first when I was in graduate school. I was a very fast fan, and from that point on, every place that I've ever lived, I seek out the public radio station on the radio dial, even if I'm vacationing someplace. And if there's any drive involved, I'm looking for the public radio station where I go. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. So now joining us is Congresswoman Colleen Hanabusa, and uh, she is also the Democratic candidate for governor for the state of Hawaii. Absolutely. Now, it's uh, we're at a pivotal time for Hawaii. We need to set a course for the future, so let's find out um, ca- uh, candidate Hanabusa's vision and what she has in mind to diversify the Hawaii economy. Of course, we want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. So I just want to know, are you guys going to dance at the end? Uh, you know, the dancing is reserved for the morning. This is more sort of... Uh, Much more serious. Serious, and, and very thoughtful. serious. But I do want to say that uh, our format for tonight is that you will have one minute. No, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we will keep it very conversational. And you know what? The, the thing about those uh, debates that I, I've uh, been watching is that it's so limiting to do whatever you want to say in a one-minute or a two-minute segment. So we'll have a more, you know, more chance to kind of just uh, have a conversation. I do want to start off, though, with the question. The question is, I was very impressed by, uh, you know, the um, KH, uh, KHON AARP uh, question that was posed to you, and one of its one was which, uh, if you became governor and you were to appoint your your uh let's say your opposition to a position you had said something to the effect that oh maybe I'll you know I'll have David uh, work on uh, some some tech initiatives so i guess the question that i have for you is what sort of tech initiatives would you have him work on you know i i think that one of the uh well let me give you some background okay. first 
The reason I said that is because when I was uh, Senate president, we did what we called the paperless initiative. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to hear your prior guests talk about trying to get the quorum to go paperless. And when we did that, the I, I knew how I wanted, what I wanted in the end, but I will be honest. I'm not the geek, so I don't know how to get there. Uh, I know who had the talents to do it or to keep us on course. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the Senate is like no, it's like high school, right? We have our little cliques and things like that. And And David was somebody that I thought would be a great representative of, of the group uh, that he was part of. But also we got an amazing basically bonus with David because of the fact that he he understood technology. So if you can imagine, and within the first uh, year or so that we did this, we were able to save about a million dollars, a lot of it in paper and things like you would never, you'd probably chuckle when you hear that, but it's it's ink, Mm-hmm. And the cost of ink, and then the repair work on the on the super printers, and and having people going around and collect bills, and I knew then that um, he was somebody who could could at least help with it. And if he got engaged, and he really did get engaged, David Lasner, by the, by the way, was also the IT person at mm-hmm. the University mm-hmm. of Hawaii, and he volunteered his services because everyone thought, what a unique idea. So uh, we were up and running basically by 2008. And if you go on the Senate website, I think it's still there. Uh, Sea Rider Productions out in Waianae did a series on what we did. And, you know, I remember the United States Senate uh, asked us about how we did it. And we got some awards uh, for for doing this. And the House of Representatives, my friends there, I think seven years later, has joined us. And it's, and it's really something now that when you go and you see them, everybody's got laptop computers. Mm-hmm. And that's why, having experienced that, I feel that um, you hear about the modernization plans not quite working well. We have issues with, with people getting paid, payroll issues. And, and it is, you know, one of the, the, I remember when I first got elected in 1999, I was amazed as an attorney that they were still on these things called wangs. Oh, the wang computer. And they couldn't talk to each other. So, you know, it's like a total, we've got to, you can't function without technology and modernizing government. Government is the most critical thing that you have to modernize. So that's why I said what I said. I mean, he was there and, uh, and he was part of this group. And we were able to accomplish what people said we wouldn't be able to accomplish. We did it in a year. So why not? I mean, you know, we can, there's still things out there. Criticisms are still lurking on what hasn't been done right. So that's, I think, I think we could do that. Well, Representative Hanabusa, I mean, certainly the efficiencies of government is important and part of what would be your mandate and as, as the leader of the state of Hawaii. Um, but another important part of that technology picture is how it permeates and supports the community. And let's talk specifically about business. Now, at the state level, there are some knobs that the state government can turn to try and advocate or uh, encourage the development of different kinds of business. Certainly, tourism, military is very important. But technology is growing fast in many other places, including Hawaii. We've had things like Act 221 and tax Mm -hmm. approaches. We've had things like uh, accelerators and investing in Mm -hmm. startups. What are some of the ideas? What are some of those state-level knobs that you're excited about 
in terms of supporting technology businesses in Hawaii? You know, I think that if you really look at a lot of the technology businesses that have been successful in their own right, a lot of them tend to be what we call NGOs, of course, but a lot of them also somehow are related to what we call dual use. So a lot to get their basis in a military or those kinds of projects. So I think that's one of the advantages I have in that when I was in Washington, I still am, but but during the time that I served on the Armed Services Committee, the one thing I came to appreciate was the fact that you have probably one of the great sources of monies for research in in particular, the Navy. So I sit on sea power, and people ask me, is that for Pearl Harbor? I said, of course it is. But I said, it's also for this entity called ONR, mm-hmm. Office of Naval Research. And when you think about what they are able to do, even the University of Hawaii, right? We have a UARC there that we haven't utilized, especially when you think about the amount of monies that's, that was given and how we haven't used it. But in addition, when you think about the granddaddy of UARCs, which is John Hopkins University, they get $8 billion for five years, $8 billion. And you can imagine what we could do with that. So I look at the tech industry as one that is really fueled by process of thinking and being innovative, but it also needs to have money to do that. That's why earlier before we got on the air, I I was so fascinated by the the adventures you've all had with hackathons because I think that that's like the preliminary steps to what I consider to be one of the granddaddy of all research entities that that are innovative and that's the DARPA you know everyone will admit DARPA is internet mm. DARPA is the driverless cars and so many of those different kinds of things that people go what where did it come from And that's there. So why not utilize that? And I think we have not gone out and really gone and and done that type of uh, reaching out to to our partners, our our military partners. And people say, well, that's military. I said, no, it's not only military. You'd be surprised at the level of the kinds of technology developments that we're doing. For example, I had a friend in... uh, his name was Ron Barber, and he was the one who was shot with Gabby Giffords, and he mm-hmm. survived. He survived because of something that was created in Israel for our military, and they were able to put it on his wounds, like a covering on his wounds, and he survived because of that. So I remember him going to the kibbutz that created it, and just to say thank you. So, you know, there's just so many things that, that have, like we call it, dual use. Mm. And that's why if you were to ask me, what would I think of doing immediately, not something down the road, but immediately, I would say that we have underutilized those resources. And that is really where I think tech should be. I think we're a wonderful place. You know? and, and let me share with you another story that I tell people and the people chuckle is, I was on a special panel when I first got elected. There were only seven of us, and we traveled all over, and they came to Hawaii. But one place we went to was Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. And on there were placards with the warrior symbol, UH warrior symbol. Mm. So I said, I asked the president, Mr. President, why is UH there? And he says, I knew you'd ask me that. He says, what you have in Hawaii that no one else has is the ability to test 
any kind of innovation because you have, I think he told me, 10 of the 12 ecosystems right, of right. the world, right? You don't have Antarctica, you don't have the Sahara Desert, but you have everything itself. They were giving, and they were the only ones at that time, they were granting uh, engineering degree in corrosion, rust. Who mm. would have thought? But when you think about the amount that's really wasted and spent on rust, it's fascinating. He goes, way better but Hawaii to test that. So we want that kind of a relationship. That's the kind of thing that excites me. And I think, what is natural to Hawaii? And let's expand on that. Yeah, we hear a lot about those biomes. We even have Mars here um, in terms of our unique environment, agriculture, and the year-round growing season. You talked a little bit about the University of Hawaii, and I I, want to get back to kind of state-level things. I mean, the the heart of any community with a thriving tech uh, industry is a good research university, like the University of Hawaii. It does have a lot of high-level research happening there. But is there something, is, is it a capacity issue? Is it a contacts and relationships issue? I mean, what, as governor... Uh, could you do to bolster the university's oppor- ways of exploiting these resources better? I think I think the first thing that I would do is to define the university better. The problem that I think that the university has is that it's trying to, at all of its different campuses, it's trying to be almost the same thing. So, for example, I feel, and people, a lot of people uh, object to that, that UH West Oahu is a, should be a classic place to build to an undergraduate campus. Because when you look at our population, where is the population going? It's going to the Eva Plains. It's going out to Kapolei. It's going out to central Oahu. And that's a natural for that area. So that's always been something that I've, I've looked at and said that we should, they should pay, play a bigger role on that. I think UH Manoa is, is a great institution for research and graduate studies. And graduate studies usually means research. And I think that when we're able to not expend funds in so many different places doing the same thing, and we can concentrate on, you can then recruit. Like everyone says, right? Our astronomy department is is one of the best. And and because of that, it, we have to continue to say, okay, what, what can we do from that? What, where do we go from that? Well, look at UH, uh, just, just in agriculture, you mentioned. CETAR, for example, and what we are able to go out and to, to really use technology for. Technology should be front and foremost in how people farm now. You gotta, we got to do that because we don't have everybody who wants to be a farmer. But more importantly than that, we have issues of, of food security. Mm. And that's why people are saying we got to do that. And water. Water, we know water is essential. How do you then make sure that we're using the resource and not wasting the resource? And it's really, in my opinion, with technology. So we were talking about apps earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, there should be a farmer who can walk around and see, hey, you know, I need need more right now and this and then, you know, hit whatever. I mean, we can tell uh, uh, your, your house to turn on your lights. You can tell your farm to start the water or to stop the water. Well, I have a question that, uh, that I would like to ask you in terms of, the, uh, as a governor, how would you actually influence UH? Because, of course, you know, we mentioned David Lasner. I mean, he's the guy that's really got the oversight of UH. But before we do that, I want to hold that thought. This is actually a teaser. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with gubernatorial candidate Colleen Hanabusa. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking with Congressman Colleen Hanabusa about uh, her vision for technology and science here in Hawaii. Of course, right before the break, we're talking about UH and uh, it being a sort of a a research university, but then there's also all the different campuses. Now, I'm curious, uh, uh, Rep Hanabusa, in terms of your influence over how UH might you know, let's say distribute or, or concentrate yeah, their different sort of studies at the different campuses. How would you influence it uh, as opposed to perhaps uh, David Lasner doing that kind of influence? Well, remember, um, David Lasner is, uh, is also defined by his Board of Regents. So if there's anybody who has an influence on the Board of Regents, it's whoever is governor because you are ass- assuming that you get the right names coming to you. You are picking from a list that should then hopefully have people who have the same mindset as what you envision for the, the future. I think that, yes, it is true. But, but in addition to that, remember, the university still needs external funds coming in. So if you're able to, to encourage different non, uh, we, call, we call them P3, P3s, public-private partnerships, if you're able to encourage people to come in, and work with the university on certain things, then you're able to build on that. That's why originally when, when I was uh, talking to you about your hackathons, it's, it's, when you look at that, it's always involving a governmental entity usually, and it's some private entity that has an investment and an idea, right? Mm-hmm. So why not build on it? Look at STEM. Look at what we've, we've been able to do with STEM. And I think that when we start to think about how the university plays in all of this. The university has just got to be sold that, you know, just because it's not an idea that that they thought of, it doesn't mean that it's not a good idea and that they should be encouraged to to make that partnership. And, you know, we have this entity uh, that very few people know about, but I, I have protected it when I was uh, in the Senate, mm-hmm. and it's called RCUH. And RCUH has a different set of rules but what it does do is it, it's perfect for facilitating research and facilitating funds externally coming into the university, mm. not, from, not from state government, and making it all work. So that's also part of it. We have to understand the structure of what is the University of Hawaii. And, and remember, University of Hawaii is still a public institution. So if it needs to be tweaked a little here and there, then it shall be tweaked a little bit here and there mm-hmm. because still its funding comes from the state of Hawaii. Right. Well, let's talk about another area in which Hawaii is a leader in terms of its ability to be a test bed for cutting-edge research, renewable energy. I mean, mm-hmm. the Office of Naval Research does some work there. I mean, uh, funding through groups like Elemental Accelerator. Right. Um, what do you see when we have these ambitious goals, I think any city would, to be more energy independent and we're as in energy independent as one could be? Um, what's your plan there? Well, you know, like talking about the Elemental Accelerator, uh, the Emerson Collective, Collective was yeah. part of it. And, and I had the opportunity to meet with uh, Andy Karsner, who was one of the, the you know, sustainable, I mean, the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative 
2008. So I tell people, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. That was Governor Lingo, George W. Bush's administration, and Andy Karsner was the representative. And we came up with the Hawaii Clean, Clean Energy Initiative at that time. That same year, we did Sustainability 2050 as well. Mm-hmm. But I think what we can do, because one of, as you know, they just had the uh, a conference 10 years later to see where we are. And one of the interesting, uh, I think, uh, conclusions is that the only way we're going to get anywhere is we got to look at transportation. But you cannot do the electrification of transportation and end up burning, in my opinion, more fossil right, fuel right. to get there. That's just nonsensical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that when we start to look at it, and you're absolutely right, the place that has done major major, I guess, inroads in this whole area has been like Kaneohe, Marine Corps Air Base. You know that that's where we have the, the quote, the, I call them the, um, the, the windmills in the ocean, but you know, wave action mm-hmm. is there. And they finally got it down because it took a while for it to be tethered, tethered properly. But enough of those, and they're going to they're gonna be able to power the homes. But almost every surface on flat surface uh, in Kaneohe has PVs on right, it. Right. And the only thing with that is that when you think about it, and President Obama said, by the year 2020, the Navy will be 50% off. So you need those kinds of initiatives because they it's that kind of commitment that really makes it work. And I think we have shown it the most here. Absolutely. Uh, w- would there be anything that you could uh, direct your sort of focus in terms of incentivizing or encouraging the industry to adopt more of these aggressive uh, clean energy initiatives? Well, I think I think the most important thing, and this is one thing that has worked only because I think that the military has not cleaned it, is net metering. They have not net metered. So I think one of the things that we're going to have to look at, because we have Hawaiian Electric mm. and HEI, and we have that, what I call the, the you know, it's, it's King Kalakaua's monopoly that was created, we are going to have to meld all of those different interests together, and it's going to come down to one entity, and that's the Public Utilities Commission, unless the legislature decides that it's going to function some other way. Well, we don't have much time, so I wanted to ask this question for perhaps the next generation. You meet a STEM student, and they say, um, give me hope for a job and a future here. What can I look forward to? What would you tell that young person? You know, the millennial generation at first scared me because I didn't understand them, but now I believe that they have a different set of values, and we it is incumbent upon us to listen. So the one thing I did say, and I really do believe it, is that I believe the millennials should be represented, and I, I'm going to create their presence in a cabinet-level position because I think huh. it's only when the cabinet and everyone hears how they view things that their decisions are going to be influenced by that. And it comes with leadership, right? If I say, if I'm, if I'm governor and I say, you know, you are all going to pay attention to what they're saying because what bothers me the most is how can we say we're building Hawaii for your future and then we don't listen to the future that they want? And we say that's not what you want. This is we know better. I had an interesting discussion with a father on Maui the other day, and I said the reason why you think your son is not listening to you is because you're too busy telling him what you think he should want, and he's trying to tell you that's not what I want. So that's what I I'm going to tell it. Representation in the government. Well, that's you know, right. so I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to see how you 
create this millennial czar. But, you know, <laughs> Repanabusa, I mean, we could probably spend the next hour talking about all these things. But unfortunately, our time has pretty much come to an end. So Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Colleen Hanabusa represents Hawaii's District 1 in Congress and is running for governor in the state of Hawaii. I want to thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you. And I just want you guys to know I enjoy watching you on the news this morning. <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> and thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk to Governor David Ige and learn about his vision for the future. And of course, uh, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our show is uh, on HPR One every Wednesday. You can also catch it anytime via the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. And of course, you stay awesome, and we will see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Surfing.